Welcome back to The Burning Issue with myself, Yazid Kamaldin. So earlier we spoke to some ulama bodies who talked about mosques that will be opening and mosques that will not be opening. And now we are going to look at the conversation more broadly and the challenges facing faith-based communities based communities as places of worship embark on opening the doors to the public during level three of the national coronavirus lockdown. Now the Claremont Main Road Masjid was among the first of a group of mosques who decided not to open under level three of the lockdown. We do know that President Cyril Ramaphosa last week said that places of worship could now be open. Of course the regulations stipulate that only 50 persons may enter a place of worship at a time and they must observe social distancing with all the other safety precautions including masks and hand sanitizing and temperature checks. So we're going to welcome a guest now from the Claremont Main Road Masjid and uh, it's Jamia Khalant who is the acting chairperson of the Board of Governors. Jamia, good evening. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Burning Issue. Assalamu alaikum, Yazid, and assalamu alaikum to your listeners. I'd also like to welcome Reverend Professor Peter Storey. He's a former head of the Methodist Church and a former president of the South African Council of Churches. Uh, shall I say Reverend or Professor or Peter? Which do you prefer? <laughs> try, try Peter. Okay. <laughs> welcome to the show, Peter. Um, and of course, the big... Yeah. Sorry. I say thank you. Okay. And of course, the big, the big question is around, or rather what we want to know is the response from the faith-based communities and leaders on the president's decision and, and, and what decision or what they think of that decision. Jamia, let's start with you. Your mosque made a decision not to open. Please tell us about that decision. Uh, well, firstly, uh, Yazid, our you know our guiding principle, and this is this has been the principle that we adopted from the get go in March when the fir- when the state of disaster was announced, and that is the preservation of life, um, and you know using that as our guiding principle for us, it is just you know a completely confounding um, you know. Dis- decision even to allow um, uh, places of worship to open in the current context. At the time, uh, at this time at which we're seeing, um, you know, the the virus and the the pandemic itself uh, moving towards its peak. One would have thought, okay, perhaps at the time when when the the virus is in, in, in in its downward curve, but I mean, we 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 nowhere near, you know, getting uh, beyond the peak yet. Um, so the time certainly is is not right. And yeah, I have to, you know, just acknowledge uh, Reverend um, Peter's story because one of the, you know, he wrote a brilliant article, and I've I've held on to um, a line that he 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 put in in his piece, which is that our decision in this in this regard in level three to not open is one that he he himself said is it's a matter of public health it is not a matter of faith so this decision that we made for us was about public health it is about the greater good it's not about you know uh, it, uh, this is going to affect our faith or our worship it's not about the muslim decision and a, um you know or, or uh, how is it going to affect um our worship our worship and our faith carries on in our homes and this is this is you know um, being one of the most encouraging things for us, especially having come 
through the month of Ramadan, and we see now people have made their their homes, sanctuaries, and 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 places of of worship. And we know that um, for us. Um, We've been taught that the world is our mosque. So, you know, to, to, to hold on to this space, which, which in fact becomes almost like an incubator for a virus such as the, the, the one that we're, that we're currently facing, um, to then, you know, allow that space to be opened up, um, for, for people and, uh, you know, from our, just from our own risk assessment, there was no way that we could guarantee the safety of not only the congregants who come, but also our own staff, including our imamat. And, you know, I listened to your earlier guests about all of the, the regulations and who's going to be allowed to come uh, and which groups are not allowed in. I mean, just from our mosque perspective, out of a board of um, 10, 10 people, probably only three would be allowed to, to come. Well, actually, if we take the women uh, that are not allowed to come, then uh, probably uh, maybe one person or two, two, two members of the board would be left um, to be able to, to come to the mosque. Our imams would be, would be in the category of, of groups that he, he uh, your earlier guest said, would not be allowed. So, you know, for, from all of those perspectives, um, it just felt to us that the, the, the best and the correct decision in the current context is to not open um, the mosque at this, at this point in time. Mm-hmm. I'd like to refer now to that article, Peter, in an opinion piece that you had written last week. You'd mentioned that caring clergy should refuse to open their doors. Why do you say so? Well, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more than uh, with what we've just heard. I mean, uh, in fact, I smiled a little bit when I heard the wonderful phrase, "The world is our mosque." Because as a Christian of the Methodist Church, the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, reminded us that the world is our parish. So we are in so much agreement together in over many more things than what we're discussing tonight. But I just invited clergy, local clergy, to think very, very hard before they open their churches, despite what some of their church leaders had um, decided, apparently, in that uh, strange meeting with uh, President uh, Ramaphosa. They put pressure on the president. And uh, in the end, I think he buckled. And I'm very sad that he did, uh, because the decision was ill-advised and, I think, very dangerous. The fact of the matter is we've learned that this virus... Uh, this terrible, terrible virus, which is wreaking such havoc around the world. This virus likes to go to church, probably likes to go to mosque as well. And so many of the hotspots uh, of infection at the beginning began in religious um, events, church services and choir practices and things like that. And so people who have tried to dress this Um, this up as a kind of issue of religious freedom, I I think, are deceiving us. It's got nothing to do with religious freedom, 
um, religious freedom is is when the state tries to silence the church, or one religion tries to persecute and and silence another. Um, this is, as you say, all about stopping people from dying. And I think that's a very worthy motive for people of faith. People die because they come together in ways that can pass the infection from one to another. And that is at close quarters, usually indoors, and often when they are touching each other or very close to each other. And if they are in one another's company for a fair amount of time, that makes it worse. That's a perfect description of most religious services. And moreover, um, in Africa, certainly amongst the Christian community, worship is a very lively thing. People don't just sit and look at the back of the neck of the person in front of them. They do not just pray quietly. They get up, they dance, they sing, uh, they move around. Um, and, And there is no way, I believe, in most African churches, especially those small rural churches which exist by the thousand in our country and are not accountable to any large controlling body which can tell them how to behave and can tell them what to not to do. I cannot believe that those services will, uh, in the main, uh, be able to to obey and the, um, the, the, the rules that are being laid down. So for me, the opening up of the services of worship, whatever religion, was really the end of the lockdown. And worse than that, I believe that if the majority of religious people in this country decided to follow the president's ruling and to follow, I think, the unwise leadership of many of their leaders, then it's uh, it's also the undoing of all the good that so many people have sacrificed to bring about over the last, what, nearly 70 days now, is it? Uh, I've forgotten, I've lost count. But the sacrifices that people have made have been enormous, all to try and slow the, the progress of this virus. And I feel that uh, uh, crowding into churches and mosques and temples and so on and synagogues is the best way to undo all that sacrifice and waste it. So, as has been uh said, you know, we we haven't reached anything like the peak yet. The storm is yet to come. Mm -hmm. Now, there's the belief that places of worship are also what is called super spreaders. They are places where the virus can spread much quicker, you know, than, let's say, for example, I guess going to work sometimes because fewer people are going to work. What is your thoughts on places of worship being called super spreaders of COVID-19? I don't know who you're addressing. Any any guest can go first. Well, let my let my fellow guest respond. Well, well, well. I mean, I I think you know if you think about just uh, Peter's just described what are the conditions uh, and ideal conditions for the spread uh, of the virus. Then, you, firstly, you're talking about um, uh, a closed space. So it's not an open outdoor space, it's a closed space. 
um, people are always going to, whether they are, you know, um, um, uh, putting the, the physical distance of 1.5 meters together, whatever it is, they're going to be spending some time together through some kind of service. Um, and inevitably, these are not silent. People are not, um, you know, just, uh, um, uh, you know, sitting behind their masks and keeping quiet, whether they are chanting, whether they're making, um, uh, dancing, singing, making dicker, what, whatever it is. Um, droplets are bound to be falling everywhere. And you think about how, I mean, uh, you know, I, I use just the example of the mosque. You know, to use a mask and open a mask for congregational prayers, you're talking about five services per day. And then I've heard where people are counting the number of, of people. They're even having three sessions per uh, prayer time, which is, you know, let's say three times five. They certainly are not going to be sanitizing um, or disinfecting between uh, those sessions. So you, you think about, if you think about one person, you know, uh, being, being potentially a, 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 a transmitter or carrier of like however many drops, and you keep multiplying that by the number of groups who are coming, by the number of prayer services uh, that you're having, and how many people are being exposed to that um, just, you know, in one day. Um, but again, you know, this is not, this is also not theoretical. Um, you know, it's real, it's happened. We, the, you know, there's the evidence from around the world way before the virus even came, uh, uh, manifested in South Africa. There were already cases of, um, uh, in Pakistan, in Indonesia, where, you know, there were huge gatherings of, of the, the, the Tabir Jama, in which there were outbreaks. There were outbreaks in, in, in churches um, elsewhere. And here, when, when, when the virus first manifested, um, one of these, one of the, uh, what, they, what they call a, you know, source or, or, or outbreak um, uh, center was a church service in Bloemfontein. So this is not a, you know, it's not a, a theoretical thing. It's not a, a theory about saying that, that, that places of worship are super spreaders. There's evidence of that, that this has already uh, happened. So, you know, it, it really is, um, uh, it, it's almost tragic. Mm-hmm. You know that this is being put on the table, and that people are are even considering it um, in the in the in the current context. But you know, having said that, I also think that it is laudable and commendable that many many places of worship have actually just gone against both um, the the so called permission from the president, but also their own leadership that lobbied for this to say that they are not going to open. And, you know, while Claremont um, Mosque, uh, while we were one of the, we were not the first, there were other mosques who actually had statements out before uh, we had uh, our statement out about um, closing. And that is commendable that mosque committees are are applying their minds, other places of worship, um, uh, the Jesuit community, they also came out quite early with a very strong um, 
state, statement. So mm-hmm. people, you know, are exercising their minds, are recognizing uh, the risks involved uh, to their own communities and to the broader public. Because, you know, again, you know, your guest spoke, one of your earlier guests spoke about how each individual can take responsibility and people must self-declare about, you know, whether they're sick or not sick and, and so on. But what, what they, they, he didn't mention at all is the person who is now going to, to take, you know, their right to go and pray in their mosque or whatever, what risk does that person pose to the person that they're living with at home? Mm-hmm. Jamie, I need to leave it at that for now. We need to go for an ad break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with super spreaders and of course we'll ask Peter as well for his opinion on that. Let's go for an ad break. The Burning Issue Welcome back to The Burning Issue. I'm Yazid Kamaldin. We now will go to Reverend Peter Story, and he's a former head of the Methodist Church. So, Peter, what do you think about the idea of places of worship being super spreaders of the COVID-19 virus? The case for the fact that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they certainly could be, and I certainly agree entirely, uh, you know, with Ms. Klant on this uh, on this issue. I thought I might take a, a slightly more positive line and, and and say that, you know, it hasn't been all bad not being able to get to our religious services. I think it has given birth to an awful lot of creativity in helping people in their relationship with God in different ways. And I know that local uh, clergy in the in the Christian church have arranged online um, services of different kinds. And, uh, you know, I live now in a retirement village, and I've been interested in how uh, many of the very old folk who live here and who rely enormously on and enjoy the the opportunity to worship on on a Sunday, and how appreciative they have become of the different ways in which they are being reached with um, words uh, of comfort and prayer and uh, sermons and and, and so on. Uh, so it, it hasn't all been uh, dark. And the other side of it is that I think um, all faiths in the end, I imagine, um, measure the effectiveness of their times of prayer and worship by the way in which their congregants live for the rest of the week. Do they live, and in their lives, are they modeling the principles and the beliefs that they proclaim at worship? And uh, I think we've been given a wonderful opportunity to ask the question, who are we when we are not at prayers, when we are not at worship? Who are we? Are we... Are we living out the things that our faith invites us to stand for? And um, there are a lot of things in common between all our faiths. So I think it's been quite a challenge uh, to to do a little bit of introspection. And I love that phrase, you know, that our our homes have become our mosques, our, temp- our temples, our sanctuaries. Um, how beautiful that phrase is, because it... It expresses that faith is a living thing and it is not locked up in a church building or a mosque or a temple or a synagogue. Mm 
You know, we did we did a, we sent an invitation to our congregants after Ramadan to ask people to send us their kind of Ramadan lockdown stories, and you know there were amazing um, inspirational stories about exactly this this point that Peter's making about how people have have like found. Like and not only found, but kind of found ways of nurturing um, their the, the spirituality within within their homes. It's not only about you know making the, the, your new congregation being your family. That family becomes the, the the congregational space now, where people have become more empowered to take on leadership. Um, uh, 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 you know, position, but not leadership, but but doing things where they would uh, ordinarily perhaps rely on an imam to do or something. People are now empowering themselves, you know, giving their, cho- their own children's names instead of asking the imam to come and to come and do that. Leading prayers in a way that they would have ordinarily just followed an imam. People are learning to do things for themselves. They're reading um, much more. Uh, you know, we, we, in terms of our, 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 our not only giving, um, re, you know, replacing our Friday um, sermons with online sermons, but also trying to produce resources for people um, to use at home that they can do things for themselves as well. So you also, it's also a dependency um that you're breaking, that people are not just following, that people are taking the lead for themselves, empowering themselves, and in so doing, um, nurturing their own and building uh, their own spirituality through that through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been wonderful, wonderful stories of the way, especially during Ramadan, um, people have, have done that in their homes and come together um, as households and, and, and families. Mm-hmm. Let's have some closing remarks. Jamia, perhaps any closing remarks from yourself before we go to Peter? You know, I I like um, I like that 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 positive that positive note. Um, you know, of not thinking about the closure of of mosques and and our places of worship as all doom and gloom, but rather an opportunity that in fact we may not have again, an opportunity to. Um, to be innovative, um, to find different ways um, of meditating, of finding our, our inner selves, our inner um, uh, voices, and to make um, our homes, our sanctuaries of worship um, and, and, and peace, um, and where we can find that, that peace that we seek sometimes when we go to our uh, places of worship as well. Fantastic. Shukran to Jamia. And Peter, do you have any closing remarks? Yes, I would want to just remind uh, the, the listeners that the, the uh, sort of problems we've faced uh, as not being able to, to, to attend our, our services, remember that the lockdown covered both the Christian Easter and the Muslim Ramadan. And... Um, and also the Jewish festival. So all of these three three faiths, if you like, were heavily inconvenienced. 
but it's an inconvenience. It's no more than that. But we're living in a country where the masses of the people are poor, where people have lost jobs, where people do not know where the next meal is going to come from. And instead of brooding over whether we can get to mosque or church or not, I would hope that those of us who uh, are, are experiencing this time will find it one in which we go out of our way to discover how we can help the poor, how we can be with those who are suffering. Um, I have a friend who every day has sliced loaves of bread already spread and formed into sandwiches, and she simply drives around when she's allowed to. And she hands them out to people who are hungry. She doesn't have to go far. They're all over the place. Mm -hmm. Hunger is everywhere at the moment in our country. Yeah. These are the things we can do, which I'm quite sure are just as pleasing, and if not more pleasing to our God, than uh, you know doing the right things in the mosque or in the church or in wherever. So uh, I, I do not feel that this is in any way a disruption of the faith. It's simply inviting us to find new ways of expressing our faith until such time as we can gather together joyfully once more. Mm -hmm. Let's leave it at that. Thank you so much to Peter and to Jamia. Shukran so much, Jamia, for your time on the radio this evening on Burning Issue. We thank both our guests for bringing a very different but also interesting perspective on the reopening and the choice to keep closed places of worship during Level 3 of the lockdown. Now, we are going to welcome our next guest on soon. Um, we are going to start talking about the freedom of religion in South Africa. Of course, it's our aim here to bring a comprehensive conversation around this uh, to you, the listener. We've had, of course, at the beginning of the show, the Muslim Judicial Council, and we also had on the Sunni Ulama Council. And now we are going to talk about freedom of religion. We are going to welcome to the show Michael Swain. He's the director. Our executive director of 4SA. Michael, good evening and welcome to Burning Issue. Good evening, Izzy Ben. Good evening to your listeners. Michael, for our listeners who may not be aware of 4 South Africa, can you please tell us what it is? Freedom of Religion South Africa, which is known as 4SA, is a, a religious, uh, sorry, a legal advocacy group which basically uh, focuses on the protection and promotion of our constitutional rights to freedom of religion, conscience, belief, and expression and opinion. Okay, and now we have heard from President Cyril Ramaphosa last week that under level 3 of the coronavirus lockdown regulations, places of worship may open. Of course, there are certain regulations, only 50 yeah. persons may be allowed, and other safety precautions need to be in place. What was the response from Freedom of Religion South Africa to the President's comment that places of worship may now be open? Well, we, we were very thankful, and we had always been looking for government to respond in a very positive way, in a sense, because the religious community of South Africa is one of the most wonderful assets of South Africa, because it is deeply ingrained in people's hearts, and it is deeply ingrained in the fabric of our society. And thus, if any sector is, in, in fact, always historically has done, is to play the role that it needs to play, it's now. And we cannot, therefore, um, I think, sit back, which I think the religious sector was unanimous in, 
and not be properly recognized so that we can provide the essential services um, which the nation and its people so badly need now. Okay. Now, I think what's also important is around concerns, you know. I mean, the freedom of religion is important, but also the right to health is important. Absolutely. So how do we work around these two rights? How do we then advise people? How does your organization advise people? The Muslim Judicial Council has said to mosques, it is up to your committees to decide, although they have said, maybe stay close for another month. What would you say? Well, I think, as you correctly say, and um, the Muslim Judicial Council correctly say, it is clearly a time for the religious community to proceed with extreme caution. Bearing in mind there are significant risks and responsibilities which accompany the rights that government has now recognized and in, in terms of like allowing people to reopen in a very limited calibrated way but there are very stringent regulations to that and we, in fact freedom of religion south africa we are posting i think tomorrow which might be of interest to some of your listeners um our perspective on the regulations how they would apply in the religious sector to the workplace and how they would also apply uh, to places of worship because they're separate but there's commonality obviously um, and so, yes, we, we are preparing that. And we've also written uh, to the uh, Minister Geng uh, and asked for clarification. And we are expecting clarification uh, tomorrow, in fact, um, on exactly what some of the loose ends of the regulations really do mean. So we're asking for clarification. Um, for example, religious leaders as essential workers. The problem is, is that they're not officially formally recognized in that list. And so if we do move from level three... Uh, back to level four or five, then surely at that point you shouldn't put the religious community back behind closed doors, so to speak. I mean, they should, if, if it's essential that they provide all the necessary um, you know, uh, spiritual needs, physical needs, psychological needs in our nation at this time of crisis, then if they were needed now, they'll be even more needed then. So we need that sort of thing to be properly recognized um, in the regulation, which it currently isn't. Yeah. But now, what is your what are your concerns around health safety um, with the opening of places of worship? Well, obviously, there is a health risk. There's a health risk in places of worship. There's a health risk when you go to the store. There's a health risk when you your coffee in the mall. Uh, when you go into your office, I mean, there, there are health risks everywhere. This thing is out of the box. Obviously, what we now need to do, short of a vaccine or some you know, immediate cure, is we just need to minimize the risks as best we can. And that's why the regulations are very clear about the sanitation and hygiene and uh, other protocols and distancing that that needs to take place. And that's why in our our documentation that we produce, we emphasize these things. You know, it's it's in the form of of an FAQ, frequently asked questions. So there's a lot of information in that that I think would be very helpful, and particularly protecting the most vulnerable. Yeah. Um, that's very important. Michael, don't go. We just need to go for an ad break, but we want to keep you on the line. I have a few more questions. Burning a show, I'm your host, Yazid Kamaldin. We still have on the line Michael Swain, is the executive director for of 4SA, which means Freedom of Religion South Africa. I want to remind you that our lines are open. You can give us a call if you have any input questions or feedback on anything we've discussed. The live on-air number is 021-442-3530. That is 021-442-3530. You can also send us a WhatsApp to the number 072-238-0712. That is 072-238-0712.
Michael, I just want to also share some information that we've just received or that I've just received from the Imamat Council of Mitchell's Plain. Yes. Um, it's information about mosques that will be open and mosques that will not be open. Now, in total, there are um, 24, well, 26 mosques listed on this notice. It's something that I've received on WhatsApp from uh, a contact at the Muslim Judicial Council. And so it reads that uh, the Imamat Council of Mitchell's Plain hereby wishes to keep you updated around the matter of which masajid will reopen and which masajid will remain closed within Mitchell's Plain. There are five mosques that will open in Mitchell's Plain. I'm going to read those five names now. Um, the one is Darussalam Lost City. It will be open, but it will have no Jumaa. And then the second one is Captain's Clip Masjid. It will be open and will have no um, Jumaa. Then there's also Masjid Al Khair in Rondeflay, Masjid Kuba in Rondeflay. And the Westgate Masjid, those are the five mosques that the Imamat Council of Mitchell's Plain has confirmed will be open. Then there's a further list of 24 that will remain closed until further notice. And then two are unconfirmed. I'm reading the ones that will be open because it is then assumed that if you have not heard the ones that are if you've heard the ones that are open, you know which ones are closed. But I'll just quickly read it again for our listeners who are in Mitchell's Plain. It's, of course, a very big part of our city. The five mosques that will open is Darus Salam in Lost City. It will not have Jumaa though. Captain's Club Masjid will open without Jumaa Salah. Masjid Al Khair in Rondeflay. Masjid Kuba in Rondeflay. And then also Westgate Masjid. Those are the mosques that have uh, said that they'll be open. So, Michael, I'd like to come back to our conversation. Um, you know, is there ambiguity and lack of clarity of some of the clauses around the places of worship reopening? Well, yes, I mean, th th there is. And that's also one of the things that we are looking for clarification on. Um, you know, I mean, w w one, of, one of the things that we are asking for instance and this may well apply to, to to mosques is for example if it says that it's 50 person per place of worship so a, a, a place of worship is like a gathering place of worship for religious purposes say um but what about if you've got separate rooms in the same campus for example that could each easily take take 50 can you not have 50 in one and 50 in another, and maybe 50 in a third one, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, again, these are areas where it is a little bit gray. Um, and the problem with things being a little bit gray is that nobody really knows where they stand. And so, you know, you may think, well, it's okay. Uh, you may think that, you know, if, if we have a service, for example, in our car park, you know, everybody's staying in their cars, keeping in two meters apart or whatever it is, with the windows up, listening to the radio. I mean, that is that allowed? Is that not allowed? Should it be allowed? I mean, if one's allowed, why isn't the other? So these are the areas of clarification that we're also seeking uh, from the, the, the Minister of Cooperative Development, this is Fez, uh, because of Zahmet Lamin Yuzuma.
Mm-hmm. And how is what is the way forward in general? What is the advice of Freedom of Religion South Africa? Because the Muslim Judicial Council has urged mosques to stay closed for another month. We've heard from a Reverend Peter story just before your interview. He also believes that you know the churches should stay closed. The way forward, when and how do we return back to quote unquote? the normal well I mean the, 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 at this time it's going to be very difficult for you uh, I think to perhaps possibly comply if, if not difficult it's certainly going to be costly I mean there are a number of things that are compulsory before you're even allowed to consider it and, and a lot of those things are quite heavily additional too um, so I think again you know People must obviously make up their own minds, and I think we must obviously take the view that if you are an imam or a priest or a rabbi or a pastor or whoever, that you, you, you care for your flock. You, you have their best interests in your heart primarily, and therefore you want their best interests. So you know, obviously no one's going to be taking risks, and if you are taking a risk, it's going to be a considered risk. So some people may be ready to open, some may not. And I think that was the thing that we were very happy about. The president gave the discretion to the faith community. And how that discretion is exercised, obviously, within the conditions that were set for it, um, I think shows an element of, of, of trust and respect in that sense. And I think it's a good thing. And listen, people don't have to open. People don't have to attend either. Again, you, you, you as a member of a congregation, you're going to take your own health assessment risk. You know, am I a vulnerable person? Do I have a comorbidity? Then probably I shouldn't be one of the 50 people in that confined space. So I, I think it's giving people the ability to you know, make decisions for their own lives. And I think it's a very important uh, principle of freedom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, responsibility for yourself and your health. Precisely. And, 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 and also thinking of the most vulnerable. So, for example, if you're a young person, you may be relatively immune to this. We know that it, it, it scarcely touches people under the age of 18, for example. Um, but the question is, who are you coming home to? You know, if you've got an elderly grandma or grandpa, you know, who's maybe got a heart condition or asthma or something, then should you go even though you can? It's a, it's a little bit like having the, you know, the, the, the liberty to do something, but that doesn't mean to say that you have to do it. Um, you have to consider the risk. With, with, with any, any right comes a commensurate responsibility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just want to remind our listeners that you are more than welcome to give us a call if you have questions for the group called for Freedom of Religion South Africa. We've got the executive director on the on the on the show. Um, also, if you want to share your opinion, your views, how do you feel? You know, like are you scared to go to mosque? Uh, do you think mosques should stay closed for another month? Would you much rather have the mosque open because? You know, the shops are opening, the malls are opening, etc. Um, what are your thoughts? You can give us a call. The number on A is 021-442-3530. That is 021-442-3530. You can also send us a WhatsApp to 072-238-0712. Michael, let's hear your closing remarks and then we'll go for an ad break. Well, thank you. No, I, I think really what we are saying, maybe just to pick up on the last statement that I made that, you know, with with rights, you know, comes responsibilities. And I think the the onus, if you like, the burden is is going to be on religious leaders particularly to be considering the best interests of their congregants when it comes to opening the place of worship. But I think the very positive thing, of course, is that now, 
you know, churches, mosques, religious organizations can at least get their administrative capacity ramped back up again, because up to this point, they haven't been allowed to go back to work. And of course, there's always a business side to any any church. You've got to pay salaries, you've got to pay rates and taxes and bills and so on. Um, and, and now that can happen. And, the, and these are all good things. Um, but I think, yeah, it's a little bit like there was an old TV show that had, had the slogan, like, be careful out there, was how it always sort of ended off. And I think that's the thing. It is be careful out there. Now, take the precautions. Do the things that you are l- legally bound to do according to the regulations. Um, make sure you do those things and then assess your own risks and enjoy the freedoms that uh, come with that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. That is Michael Swain. He's the Executive Director of the Freedom of Religion South Africa. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much.